welcome to Checkpoint Now, the podcast at the intersection of immunotherapy and toxicities. This is your host, Dr. Freen Sharif, endocrinologist and assistant professor of medicine. And I'm joined today by my co-host, Dr. Tian Zhang, genetourinary oncologist and assistant professor of medicine. We both practice at Duke University Hospital. This is our first episode, and I'm excited to share our experience with a global audience. The idea of Checkpoint Now started a few months ago when I was invited to author a journal article focusing on the top 10 tips I would give oncologists on managing endocrine toxicities. The editor gave me instructions that the paper should be short, easy to read, and understand. I thought of making it concise for oncologists, and this resonated with me, and I decided to create this podcast for our busy oncologists. But I couldn't do this alone, and I needed a partner. I reached out to Tian, who was equally excited about the idea, and here we are a few months later. And it's been a great collaboration. This has been a great experience for me as well, and I'm really looking forward to recording together. In this, our first episode, we will give a brief introduction of how immunotherapy has changed practice for oncologists and allied subspecialists. Our subsequent episodes will focus and take a deeper dive into each immune-mediated toxicity and its management. But before we begin today's discussion, just a reminder that the content discussed in this podcast is not a substitute for direct professional medical care and diagnosis. The opinions expressed in this podcast represent our own opinions. So Tian, can you tell me about how the field of oncology has changed for you and other oncologists with the introduction of immune checkpoint inhibitors? Sure, Afreen. We have known since the 1990s that some solid tumors like melanoma and renal cell carcinoma are immunogenic with responses to systemic cytokine activation like interferon alpha and interleukin-2. Others, like urothelial cancer, responded to localized immune activators like BCG. In 2010, the first phase three trial of ipilimumab inhibiting the CTLA-4 receptor reported overall survival improvements for patients with metastatic melanoma. That same year, a phase one study of the PD-1 inhibitor nivolumab was reported with responses noted in melanoma, renal cancer, and lung cancer. Tell me more about the newer indications of these drugs. Since then, CTLA-4 and PD-1 inhibitors have been developed and gained regulatory approval in a number of solid tumors, changing our approach in the treatment of multiple malignancies, including melanoma, renal, and urothelial carcinomas, but also other solid tumor types like non-small cell lung cancer, head and neck squamous cell carcinoma, gastric cancer, and hepatocellular carcinoma. At last count, there are currently six monoclonal antibodies targeting the PD-1, PD-L1 axis and one CTLA-4 targeting monoclonal antibody with U.S. FDA-approved indications in 17 different solid tumors. There are even tumor-agnostic indications for the PD-1 inhibitor pembrolizumab for microsatellite high and high tumor mutational burden tumors. There are other checkpoint inhibitors as well as other combinations with chemotherapy, targeted therapy, and other T-cell activators that are currently in the development pipeline. Sounds like immunotherapy has been transformative to oncology practices around the world. Knowing what you know today, what do you project for the future? Sure. You know, the tumor immune cycle of immune activation has gained prominence across cancer types and is now heralded as one of the main hallmarks of cancer development and progression. We now know that many T-cell receptors have roles in both activating and checking the cytotoxic response. 
because multiple immune checkpoint inhibitors are approved for different cancer indications, we are seeing more and more patients being treated with these checkpoint inhibitors and unfortunately also developing many of the immune-mediated toxicities. So Efrain, oncology practice has certainly changed, but tell me about your first encounter with these toxicities and how your practice has evolved over the years. In my practice, I started seeing these cases emerge in 2015, right around the time pembrolizumab and nivolumab were first FDA approved. I distinctly remember my first consult for suspected adrenal insufficiency in a patient with renal cell carcinoma and adrenal metastatic disease. The oncologist on the other end mentioned this new drug to me called ipilimumab that I had never heard of before. I had learned something new, something exciting, and I'd seen a zebra in practice, which only a handful of seasoned endocrinologists in my practice has seen before me. I was fascinated with the science behind these drugs and how they exaggerated autoimmune diseases. Fast forward five years, I see a dozen of patients every week in my clinic. So yes, practice has changed. And with these changes in your endocrine practice, how has research around toxicities evolved with time? Research in this area is moving at a very fast pace. Earlier studies published right after the FDA approval of these agents were more descriptive of events and focused on incidences, clinical presentations, and institutional experiences around managing immune adverse events. A few years later, the focus of investigation has now changed to understanding mechanistic pathways, biomarker discovery, and strengthening prediction around adverse events. This is a very exciting space to be in. My practice has certainly changed, but I mostly see higher-grade adverse events. You probably see more cases, including those with lower-grade adverse events. Do these numbers vary with cancer subspecialties? Sure. I think in general, frequency of these adverse events in an oncologist's practice depends on their cancer subspecialty and how often these immune checkpoint inhibitors are given for the cancer types that that oncologist sees. In my subspecialty of genitourinary malignancies, I give immune checkpoint inhibitors for both renal and urothelial cancers, which make up about half of my clinic volume, and therefore I do frequently see these adverse events. When I'm starting a patient on immune checkpoint inhibitors, I will discuss in general terms that we may also flare up an immune response where the immune system is active. So rashes on the skin, diarrhea in the GI tract, inflammation in the liver or lungs, as well as affecting the endocrine organs. Although many of these adverse events are rare, they can be quite significant and severe when they occur, and therefore we would recommend for all patients to call in with symptoms early on. Often we can start to control these side effects without changing the efficacy of the immune treatment on the tumor. Are these adverse events dependent on the doses of checkpoint inhibitors? Some of the dose-finding studies, especially for ipilimumab, did show that these adverse events are dose-dependent. Currently, most of the PD-1 inhibitors have flat doses that are non-weight dependent with well-known adverse event profiles. So when is it bad enough to send someone to the hospital? Generally, when a patient's side effects limits them being able to function independently or manage their activities of daily living. Usually, we're giving a trial of oral steroids first, and if still not improving on the outpatient side, then admission to the hospital to consider IV therapies. Uh, either steroids as well as further targeted anti-inflammatory agents. So this was my experience from an oncologist clinic. From the perspective of someone like you, Efreen, managing more severe cases, what general advice would you give oncologists who are often the first to identify these adverse events? 
I think firstly, maintaining a high suspicion and knowing your drugs and associated side effects are all important to triggering a specific workup. Most subspecialists heavily rely on labs and imaging to support their diagnosis and acquiring these before starting steroids is often the most common misstep in management. So if you had to remember one thing from this episode, it is before you start your patient on steroids, always remember to ask yourself if you have checked relevant labs and imaging. Thanks for those tips, Safreen. At Duke, we also have an excellent multidisciplinary toxicity program that you lead. Can you share some insights into how a program like this can be beneficial to our patients and oncologists? Absolutely. I'm a strong believer that it's hard to be the jack of all trades, especially in medicine. But that's what we are expecting our oncologists today to do. They cannot be an oncologist, an endocrinologist, or rheumatologist, and a dermatologist all at the same time. And this is where a multidisciplinary program is helpful to reduce fragmented care, timed access, streamlined communication, and to create a team-based approach to managing complex oncology patients. I understand that such programs may not exist at other places, but it's always a good idea to learn about your area-specific expertise, especially to build those contacts. My hope is also that a podcast like this will help disseminate the best practices and further education around managing immune-mediated toxicities. We've set up a series of podcast episodes, each focusing on an organ-specific adverse event. We hope this series will provide a resource for our colleagues and patients to identify and manage these toxicities. We look forward to recording and releasing a new podcast every two weeks. For next time, we plan to discuss common thyroid toxicities from checkpoint inhibitors. Hope you can join us. Have a great day and you can find us at checkpointnow.org and please remember to follow us on Twitter at CheckpointNowMD for updates on new episodes.